Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And... uh Lots going on in the news all the time. And how do we determine where the truth is and where the truth is not? Because the truth is is that we have been sitting in darkness again, just like we were in the days of Christ. There's a lot of people out there who say they believe in Christ and that they are saved by Christ, but they're still sitting in darkness. And they don't actually know Christ. They think they know Christ. They pay ministers lots and lots of money to convince them and remind them that they know Christ and that they are saved because they know Christ. And they uh, hold up certain things that were said about Christ or have been said about Christ since then. And uh, they say, well, we believe that, but we don't believe all the other stuff that Christ said for us to do. Because we don't have to do anything because all we have to do is believe in Christ and we're automatically saved. But of course Christ said, not those who say, but those who doeth the will of the Father. And they discount that with all kinds of irrational excuses that don't make any sense. And they quote Paul in a few places where Paul was talking to the Romans uh, about the fact that The Pharisees wanted them to follow all the rules of the Pharisees, which were already wrong. And Christ makes it clear that they were wrong. At least all these rules that they claim exist, which they call laws, laws to the Pharisees. But uh, you did have to follow some basic rules from Christ, such as love thy neighbor as thyself and uh, forgive Because if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Now, that's a pretty big statement by Christ. If you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven by his Father in heaven. So, why do you think you can go around not forgiving, demanding from others what you, you know, the wages of unrighteousness as an example, and... uh, that the Father will forgive you. Because Jesus had whole parables about people who uh, would not forgive debt and uh, would force other people to pay them what they thought was owed them. You know, like the entitlements you demand all the time from the government that you know is bankrupt by the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars. The reality is we sit in darkness. We can't seem to make sense out of all this stuff. Uh, we, we create something as a substitute for sense or common sense or understanding of the basic words and commands of Christ. And then we, uh, we believe in that. But that's a construction, a construction of our own mind. So, you know, without attacking your delusion, I must tell you the truth. And that's almost impossible because nobody really wants to know the truth. 
entirely. If if you really wanted to know the truth, you wouldn't need to be listening to this radio broadcast because <laughs> you would know the truth. But because uh, the truth is right there before you all the time. That's what astounds me is everybody talks about fake news on the uh, TV and radio and podcasts. But the reality is, is that uh, the truth is right in front of you, even in fake news, and people miss it. They don't actually see the truth that is right before them. Why? Why can't they see the truth that is right before them? Even in the news. They will tell you in the news and you just don't seem to catch it. Didn't you hear what they said? You know, like the number of people who get COVID and die from COVID. They said they were going to count this different than they'd ever said they were going to count flu deaths in the history of flu deaths. (laughs) So, what what is the flu deaths? That uh, they are counting. How many people have had uh, the coronavirus by their count, by their present method of counting the people that have had the flu virus? How, how many people have actually had it? Well, they they said by their by this new counting, not not in reality, because we know they count way more people. In some places, if you Test positive with a test that can't tell whether or not you have the coronavirus. If, but, and you die within 28 days of that positive test, which they know most of those tests are positive or not. They're false positives. That's counted as a coronavirus death. That you died of COVID. And that's just not the case. It's just not true. It's not science. And it's not true. But they don't, they don't tell you that, but they do tell you that, but you don't put it together. Because the media is controlling your mind, and fear is controlling your mind, and you do, really don't know what is true and what is not true. Well, just to give you an example, I mean, the Spanish flu, that was the, the big flu that everybody was gonna die from. It was so terrible. Except for the fact that everybody did not die from the Spanish flu. There are a number of different estimates as how how many people died of the Spanish flu. There's some as low as 17 million people. 17.4 million people, that's a low estimate. And the high estimate is something like 50 million people. And... uh, so what is the right answer? I mean, 17 million to 50 million, there's quite a spread in there. But uh, the low estimate at that time was 17.4 million people died of the Spanish flu over a period of several years. And uh, at that time, there was only about 1.8 billion people in the world. Now there's 7.8, almost 7.9 billion people in the world. Then 1.8, now 7.9 so that's quite a bit more people. You know, it's not it's not just twice as many people. That would be, you know, uh, 3.6 million people would be twice. And it's more than twice that. So it's like four times as many people today than there was back when in 1918 when the Spanish flu came through. 
And so you would think that if this was as bad as the Spanish flu, there would be four times as many people dying from this COVID. Because it's, isn't it worse than the Spanish flu? Isn't it this terrible pandemic? Well, no, there, there isn't four times as many people dying. Now, if you calculated uh, the percentage of deaths worldwide from Spanish flu, with those numbers, 1.8 and 17.4 million people dead over several years. It's less than 1% of the world's population. Now, we know some of those people that died, died because of medical mistakes. They were prescribing handfuls of aspirin, which was causing bleeding in the lungs, and was probably the worst thing to give people that had the flu. We know that a lot of people died because they had other conditions. You know, they were old. And uh, they had other morbidities, and they died because of that. So between the medical mistakes and the uh, and the other reasons that people were dying, poor malnutrition and what have you, that uh, that there wasn't that many people that were far less than one percent based on those original figures. So what what is the number of people they say have died from coronavirus over the last? couple years well 2.7 million out of 7.9 billion people that's less than 1% that that's less than point <laughs> oh uh 3% point oh 3 that that's a tiny number of people i mean you say 2.7 million that sounds like a lot of people and it is a lot of people. But compared to 7.9 billion people, that's not so much. It's less than, way less than 1%. Way less than 0.3%. Way less than 0.1%. <laughs> so, it's, 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 uh, 0.03%. Actually, it's less than that. So there hadn't been that many people died. From coronavirus, but they've been saying, love, people dying, people dying, people dying, and everybody gets afraid. They just kept repeating it over and over again. Just in the news, just before the program, they were talking in the news that, uh, that the, uh, Mr. Biden, and that's what they call him in a lot of the news reports now. I always thought that was kind of strange. They call him Mr. Biden instead of President Biden. There are a few places they call him President Biden, but in some articles I see they call him Mr. Biden almost all the time. In the article. And these are pro-Biden articles. But anyway, he was saying that in order to, uh, you know, global warming has to be a major uh, factor in the building back better, which is the Great Reset motto. Build back better. That's what they invented. Build back better. Isn't that great? That kind of, you know, all those... Words beginning with B, it's kind of poetic, isn't it? But uh, So they're going to build back better, but are they capable of building back better? <laughs> and what's their plan for building back better? And why do they have to build back better if only 0.03 or less than 0.03 people died from this so-called pandemic? And they really wasn't that many. We know what 2.7 million is incorrect number. But we also know that they padded the number and padded the number. 
We know in some places almost nobody died from coronavirus. But in other places, all kinds of people died. And New York has worse than most countries. Why? Are the people so malnourished in New York? Are they so crammed in there like Taiwan? No, Taiwan had far, 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 far less deaths. It's media. It's the way they're counting. They're, they're not telling you the truth. They're, they're repeating the idea. But they're just not telling you the truth. Repetition don't make it so. And this is very important when you're looking at the Bible. Because somebody will repeat certain verses in the Bible over and over again. You're saved because Jesus died for your sins. Sounds good. Sounds great. You don't have to change. You don't have, you will be changed eventually, supposedly. You'll be a nicer person and all this stuff. There's nothing you can do to be saved. What about repenting? Would that be important in being saved? Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, would that be important in being saved? What if you were engaged in something that Jesus called or said directly to the Pharisees? That they were making the word of God to none effect? If Are you doing something that would make the word of God to none effect? I mean, you think you're a Christian. You believe you're a Christian. You want to believe you're a Christian. I understand that. I would like to believe that you are a Christian too. But I have to face the facts. And if you're not doing what Christ said, then then there's pretty good evidence that you don't really love Christ. You love an image of Christ. That somebody has painted for you, but you don't really love Christ. This is kind of important to understand where the truth begins and where the truth ends. As far as loving Christ and and being that person who loves Christ. Are you that person who loves Christ? Or are you a person who loves an image of Christ created by false Ministers, false prophets, liars, in uh, sheep's clothing. So, it's pretty important that you actually know what Christ was actually telling us and what he was actually showing us. And evidently, a lot of people don't know what what was actually being said uh, in the news. Because they they make it out like this pandemic is so, so terrible. And that the only salvation you have from it. I mean, they I, I shared on Facebook uh, someone who wrote a, or, or, you know, spoke on YouTube uh, about how they change words. They alter the definition of words. And that's kind of. Kind of important if people are going around altering the definition of words, because uh, if you go and read those words in the Bible, you may misunderstand the Bible because they changed the definition of the word in the Bible. And so you read the word, but you don't know what it meant at that time. At that time that Christ was telling us the truth, at that time when we were sitting in darkness, because that's what it says, that's what it says, that he was, that people sat in darkness. And Christ was this light 
You know, that wasn't mentioned in the New Testament for the first time. It talked about people sitting in darkness long before the New Testament was written. And it talked about somebody coming with a light and shining upon that light and so that we would understand what the truth is. And uh, hopefully we would repent and become a part of the truth of Christ. The truth that he brought. But we also know that Christ said that many would say and do things that would claim that they were Christians. But they were not Christians. That they were actually workers of iniquity. And Christ would tell those people who thought they were Christians who believed that they were doing things in the name of Christ, he would tell them, Get ye from me. Depart. I know you not. So, that's pretty important to understand what is he talking about? This departing from me. Because I know you not. Yet, you, they thought they were Christians. Now, I'm sure you, you think you're a Christian. Uh, Many of you do. Maybe some of you actually think you're not a Christian. Some of you might actually think you're sinners. And you actually want to repent of the things that you've been doing. But what is what is it that you should be repenting of? You know, we can be so easily deceived and, and there's all kinds of stuff in the whole Bible and in the New Testament especially about being careful not to be deceived. And uh, that's bad if you're deceived. And we were deceived in the garden when we were supposed to be, you know, not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we did. You know, Genesis 2.9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant Trees were sources. Remember when we talked about the allegories in the Bible and the metaphors? That he, yeah, he's telling true stories, but they have a meaning, a deeper meaning. And that meaning is sometimes found in the metaphor, not just in the word itself, but in the metaphor which it represents. So, he's saying that this, in God's garden, that we grow every tree that is pleasant, to the sight and good for food and the trees of life uh, also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there's this tree of life and this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are the source of life and the source of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're not supposed to eat of the source of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was no CNN news at that time, so he wasn't talking about CNN news being the source of the knowledge of good and evil, but he was talking about something that was the source of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, what was the tempting to get us to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You know, if you you go to Genesis 2.17, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
But of course, this evil serpent, dragon, whatever it was, that spoke to Eve, said you would not die. That you would be like God. You you would be able to decide good and evil. You would see good and evil. And you would not die. And they ate it and they did not actually physically die. But of course the metaphor, the explanation of what it was about, dying, dying to the tree of life, dying to the light that represents the light of God, that we walked with the light of God and that light died and then we were as good as dead. We might still live out our existing life, but we were going to die now because we were not filled with the light of God. At least that's the way the story kind of reads to me as a metaphor, as an allegory. Now, the exact events as they took place, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the message in the story. That we were not to decide what was good and evil on our, in our own vanity, in our own pride. The only way we really know what is good and evil is by that light of God when we walked with God in the garden. Now we didn't walk with God. We actually hid from God in the story. And maybe in real life that's what we're doing. And we're hiding from God in the stories about Jesus. Because there are good stories about Jesus. But if you focus on certain aspects of the story, you may miss the message. This is, you can miss the message that is hidden in the metaphor if you unmoor the metaphor from its meaning. And you, you think that, well, the serpent was naked. That's what it says. It talks about the serpent being naked. It means without authority. Because the Levites were naked under their robes. That meant that without authority. So you were supposed to sew their underwear for the Levites because they were naked under their robes. Well, they were without authority. So you had to give them authority to be the Levites for you. So that's, you know, that's why we, we, we take and see the message of the metaphor and we bring that back to light. And sometimes that interferes with your strong delusion. You know, delusion like COVID is killing more people than the Spanish flu and that the only way you can be saved from COVID is go out and get a experimental vaccine shot. Now, you know, just, just, uh, Friday, I think it was. Yeah. The former head of the CDC, I've got it here in my notes. I just put it down just a few minutes before we went on air. Uh, Robert Redfield told CNN on Friday that it was his opinion that SARS-CoV-2, this new coronavirus responsible for killing 2.7 million people globally, did not evolve naturally. He believes it was made in the Wuhan laboratory. So we could blame it on the Chinese or we could blame it on Fauci who was funding the Wuhan <laughs> Wuhan uh, Institute there. He was sending your tax dollars there to fund that. And he, the head of the CDA, former head of the CDC said it, it came from there and it was manufactured by people. Well, we already knew that. Anybody who's on our network and listening to our programs because we showed you what Dr. Key said. But we'll be right back and show you what that means.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about sitting in the darkness of lies and of people who don't even understand what it means to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is is deciding for yourself what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. You decide for yourself because you set yourself up as a god, a decider of what is good and what is evil. And where does that lead you to? That leads you to death where you don't get to decide. That's right. And actually, to try to decide for yourself what is good and evil will set you on the road of darkness where you will lose the right to decide what is good and evil and somebody else will decide what is good and evil for you. Someone else will be your God. You won't be walking with God but you will be walking with the God's many of the earth that Paul talks about. You know, Paul says you're saved by grace. Paul's right. But you may misappropriate that statement by Paul and apply it so that you think that you are the we in Paul's reference to the people of the gospel, the faithful of the gospel. You think you're faithful because you believe a statement made by Paul, but you, in order to believe that, you have to throw out other statements made by Paul, such as those who covet cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They they won't be those people who inherit the blessings of Christ. They They will be counted as workers of iniquity, who Christ will say, depart from me. They will be counted as as the foolish virgins who God will shut the door upon and say, no, you can't come in. They will be like those who do not put on the wedding garments and will be bound up and cast out into utter darkness. Is that darkness again. Psalms 107.10 says, Such be sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. What? What is that? I don't know. In Isaiah 42.7, they go on to say, To open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoner from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So that that metaphor again of sitting in darkness. Well, sitting is is a place where you're not much action going on. You're just sitting there. You're just sitting in darkness, and you don't know the way out of the prison that you have created for yourself. And you're more interested in the comfort that might come to you through men and through institutions of men then you're actually interested in coming out of the prison and and being in the light. As a matter of fact, the light kind of hurts your eyes. You kind of shun the light. 
And, you know, this is something, a phenomenon we've seen a lot of times where people are starting to wake up, but they don't really want to see the light, the truth, or the way. They certainly don't want to go that way. I mean, there's a lot of trouble in going the way of Christ. What happens is that if you flee the light, if you flee the truth, you're chased out of the garden. You're chased away from the presence of God, and then you you lose the light. And soon you will be subject to the God's many of the world. They will reset your world and you will be more a slave in it than you were before. And they don't love you. They don't care about you like all those guys who shoot up people in these mass shootings and then often turn the gun on themselves as soon as they're caught. They're in love with death because they're not in love with life. They're in love with the darkness rather than in love with the light. Because the light shows their error, their mistakes, their shortcomings, their failings. So you have preachers that are out there tickling the ears of the people who do not want to see the truth. They do not want to come into the light of understanding. They do not want their eyes open. They actually will tell you that. I know what you're saying is true, but I don't want to hear it. They actually tell you that. You know, in Micah 7, 8, it says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. We're going to do a full study of Micah, even more than we've already mentioned along with all the other minor prophets. And when we do these, we'll, we make recordings and we try to get those recordings up on those pages at Preparing You where you can go there and use them as studies of the Word. And we show you what some of the Hebrew word is and and how this relates to the Greek text and the words there because people are constantly, like I said, changing the meaning of words. And I saved this, uh, or shared this uh, Facebook, uh, Morgan Ziegers. She's got a number of videos. I looked at a couple of them late last night. I had to be up taking care of sheep out here on the desert. <laughs> and uh, I was waiting for a ewe to see if she was going to have a second lamb. She had a pretty big lamb to begin with. I had to pull it about midnight, actually a little after midnight. And uh, get her into the barn. and uh, But she only had one. But it's a very big lamb. But anyway, staying up during, you know, waiting to see, letting her see if she was going to have more labor. I uh, I went and looked at uh, Morgan Zieger's videos. And she had one about how they changed the meaning of words. And she used a, a, a comment on the the term sexual preference that uh, during the uh, confirmation of uh, the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, uh, Eric Barrett, whatever her name is, <laughs> I can't remember the old name, but uh, anyway, Amy, because she's not she's not my Supreme Court Justice. She may be your Supreme Court Justice. My Supreme Court Justice is in heaven. <laughs> That's that's who I'm going to depend upon for deciding good and evil. But uh, 
she made reference to something in a question about sexual preference or something in the and the uh senator or congresswoman from Hawaii I don't remember what her role is in that government of men but she said that that word sexual preference was offensive it's been decided to that that's offensive and before the day was out Webster changed the definition of the word sexual preference and said that oh that's offensive now <laughs> Now, when Amy used it, it wasn't offensive, but now I guess it is offensive. So, uh, because Webster Dictionary has spoken. But she was pointing out the fact that people change the definition of words, and so that now she can get into trouble for what she said in the past because they changed the definition of the word in the present. It's now a different definition. And and she gave other examples like herd immunity. Herd immunity was always defined by the CDC, by WHO, as, uh, well, I shouldn't say always, because actually even earlier, herd immunity was defined as those who were exposed to an infection and their bodies produced the antibodies and their T1 cells uh, recorded the memory of those antibodies and then they couldn't get it anymore, which is why the Spanish flu went away. Because during 1918, there was no vaccine created, but Spanish flu, it took two years before it went away because there, it was delayed by crossing the ocean and getting to some remote parts of the world. And then eventually, you know, in the second flu season, it got to, you know, far distant places like uh, Alaska villages and they had the flu there and people died there of the flu. And, you know, we talked about this in our uh, uh, concerning coronavirus to begin with and uh, these recordings are available at preparingyou.com along with extensive articles that quote actual doctors. You know, I, I didn't even quote the CDC guy because he's not really an expert. He's just that was the head of the CDC the real experts, the real scientists, they already knew this, that it was 99.8% likely that it was built in a laboratory in China, in the Wuhan laboratory. The, the coronavirus itself, it wasn't like the Spanish flu that was just kind of a bad flu. It really wasn't that super bad of a flu, by the way. And they know that because they dug up some of those people who died in Alaska and they cultured the virus in one of their institutes somewhere in the United States. I'm not sure which one. And they tested it. And uh, they determined, I don't know how they tested it. Did they give it to people? <laughs> but they tested it and uh, they determined that it was not more virulent than any other flu. But it was the conditions of World War One. And the malnutrition and the disruption of the economy and uh, which caused more malnutrition. Food didn't move around and people had to eat food that was less than wholesome and uh, overcrowding. And then, of course, like I said, the treatment by doctors because doctors were treating the flu with aspirin because aspirin was no longer under patent. 
the patent had run out, and so lots of people were producing aspirin at a very low price. It was a cheap medicine, but it was killing people. But they were prescribing, especially for a lot of the military people who had got the flu. And, of course, uh, they've been eating K-rations, and they've been swaddling around in uh, in, uh, the front lines, you know, in the trenches and the water and everything else and fear and anxiety meant that a lot of them would get sicker than those who were not undergoing those kinds of conditions. And they got sicker. And then they went to the doctor. The doctor prescribed handfuls of aspirin. And it killed them. And this is where your high death rate comes from. That and other conditions that you find all over the world. But anyway, still, within two years, Spanish flu was gone. Absolutely disappeared. No vaccine. So... Herd immunity used to be, at one time, even before uh, the young lady Morgan Ziegler was talking about it, it was the exposure to an infection and the overcoming of that infection to antibodies that are produced in your body by that exposure. And if enough people got that immunity, then the disease couldn't travel in society anymore because it was no host to get into it's the same way with the truth the more people that are willing to see the truth everybody's able to see the truth if you don't see the truth it's because you're not willing to see the truth because it's right there in front of you all the time now admittedly there are the the naked serpents of the world who are trying to keep you from seeing the truth, you know, all those people that work at CNN and all those other media people who want don't want to tell you the truth. I mean, it's just amazing. I find it so difficult to even listen to them because I hear them. Just, how do you know they're lying? Because their lips are moving. <laughs> Some of them, their lips don't even move that much. You ever notice that, how they... They don't move their lips so much. You know, serpents don't have lips. (laughs) So anyway, so then the definition of change from exposure to the infection and the natural antibody immunity that comes to them or vaccines. Because then vaccines came more heavily on the scene. They didn't have any flu vaccine back then. But then it the definition shifted to herd immunity was vaccines and the exposure to the infection and the natural immunity that results. But now it's changed on the CDC or WHO site, I think it is, that uh, it's just vaccines that give you herd immunity. In truth, anybody who actually studies the science knows that vaccines give you less of an immunity usually a short-term immunity than natural infection and antibodies produced by that natural infection. That gives you a far more uh, robust immunity. It also gives you a more robust immune system, which we've talked about a lot, you know, which is why so many Indians died. They didn't have robust immune systems. They didn't have robust immune systems because they did not have a robust trade system. Europe had it. And when Europe got it, millions of Europeans died in ensuing plagues that came because they were able to move these diseases or 
you know, bubonic plagues to all over Europe until the people developed more of an immunity, millions of people died. But without vaccines, millions of people developed a robust immune system. So the European had a much stronger immune system when they came to America. So anyway, what about your immunity to the lie? The more you look into what is the truth about things like vaccines and and uh, pandemics and flu viruses, the more you're willing to see the truth about that, not respond to the fear, but see the truth. Not hide from the truth, but willing to see the truth. The more you can see the truth about other things, the more you see the truth about your own iniquity, your own blindness, the own fact that you sit in darkness and are not willing to persevere and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're not willing to forgive your neighbor. The more more you follow that path, the less you'll see about everything else. And this is, you know, one of the phenomena. Truth loves truth. Truth nurtures truth. Those who flee the truth, the truth flees them. This is how you make the word of God to none effect. By a system of Corbin. How does a system of Corbin make the word of God to none effect? Because you accept the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. That's what they were doing with their system of Corbin. They were coveting their neighbor's goods through a system of forced contributions. Always in the kingdom of God, contributions were not forced. To force a contribution was considered foolish, according to Samuel. When Saul forced a contribution of the people, forced a sacrifice of the people, that was considered foolish. His kingdom did not stand simply because he forced that contribution. Moses did not come into the promised land because he used force against the rock to get the water to flow. Which is a metaphor. It may have actually happened, but it's also a metaphor. He didn't use very much force. He never used the kind of force that we see the Pharaoh using. But he used force. If you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare... You're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. You're not even going to enter into the understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. And so you'll have to supplant the gospel of kingdom as taught by Christ with the gospel of the kingdom taught by modern brutish ministers. And you'll be okay with that. Now, if you're beginning to see the light of your eyes are beginning to open, you cannot run back to darkness. You cannot backslide back to darkness. Men do that. Women do that. You do not want to go that way. So anyway, they changed the definition of herd immunity to simply, you know, immunity by vaccination. And they say, they tell you, that you hear on the news say that the, you cannot get back to normal. What's normal? <laughs> normal is sitting in darkness. Because that's where you were before all this broke out. This is how come it could break out. This is how come they could, with a flu virus that is a fraction of what Spanish flu was. 
They shut down the whole world. Which will kill far more people. And usher in whatever this great reset is. And it all did it when things were normal. Because when things were normal, you sat in darkness. Well, the third thing she brought up is they redefined the word freedom. Freedom, they say, in their redefinition of freedom is comes from socialism. But socialism is just the freedom from personal responsibility. Socialism is freedom from having to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> Somebody else will eat of it. Somebody else will tell you what is good and evil. They'll say, it's good that you, we take this money away from you and give it to these people over here. It's good that we borrow money against the future of your children so that you can have a stimulus check today. They will decide these things are good. What Some of the recent decisions that I just heard about this week is that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decided that the Second Amendment gives you no right to carry either concealed or unconcealed a weapon outside of your home in the public. You have no right to carry a weapon according to the rights granted to you, supposedly, by the Second Amendment. Of course, the Second Amendment didn't grant you any rights. Now, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, that should be overthrown. It's, it's nonsense, but they, they're probably the, the most overthrown <laughs> court in America, the Ninth Court. That's out of San Francisco, and it was a seven to four vote. They voted this on a Hawaiian case. Meanwhile, in Oregon, they're passing laws about concealed weapons and taking away rights left and right. They don't actually take away the rights, but people think they do. But the point is, is that their congressmen and senators are deciding what is good and evil for you. And the courts, as the gods of good and evil, are deciding what is good and evil for you. And people are telling me, somebody on Facebook said that uh, in the Open Oregon group, said that uh, they can't take away our inalienable rights. Well, every time they put somebody in prison, you know, if somebody goes and murders some people and you arrest them and put them in jail, aren't you taking away his rights? Does he still have the right to go around do what he wants? No, they put him in jail because he was taking away the rights of other people. So you get to take away their rights because as you judge, so shall ye be judged. Well, you've been taking away the rights of other people to decide whether or not they're going to give to you, contribute to you, contribute to your welfare, provide you with free education. You went to public school. That's a covetous practice. You had somebody else take care of your parents through the government, who forces the contributions, the sacrifices of the people, that's going to make the word of God to none effect. Your days are not going to be long upon the land. Because you did not honor your father and your mother. You said that's, I, I do no more art for them. That's the state's job. See, that's the Corbin of the Pharisees. Social Security is the Corbin of the Pharisees. Welfare is the Corbin of the Pharisees. It makes the word of God to none effect. And I don't care how much your preacher tells you you're saved. You're doing contrary to the 
decrees of Christ. You're doing contrary to the decrees of God through Moses. You're coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other. And according to Peter in the New Testament, you will become merchandise. Already happened. So, socialism is not freedom. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Certainly no pure religion. Because there's another word that they've redefined. Um, Miss Ziegers did not mention it, but she should. I should go back to her video and put in a link there to religion is another word they've redefined. Religion has become what you think about God. And we know that the word religion, the Greek word religion, means what you do. How you take care of the needy of your society. And according to the Bible, pure religion is to do it unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government of the world. But you don't do it that way. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. We're looking at this idea of sitting in darkness. And the reality is, is almost everybody is sitting in darkness today because they're under a strong delusion. And they're under a strong delusion because they haven't been taught the real gospel. And the gospel was preached in all the world according to the Bible. And uh, people say, oh, well, it wasn't uh, preached over here in America to the American Indians uh, when he said that, and when he said that it had been preached in all the world. But um, it all depends on how you define the word world. <laughs> you know, in John 1, 9, it says, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So what's he talking about there? Uh, that particular word, their world, was constitutional order and system of government. So if you're going to be in the world, into that world of constitutional orders and systems of government, you need the light of Christ. And if we had the light of Christ, if our preachers back in 1920, 1910, 1930 was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which was clear that Christ said, you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. It's clear that Christ said the Corbin of the Pharisees caused the people to do more, no more ought for their parents and say they, they've given at the temple. They've given at the government because the temple was the government. And so they did no more ought for their parents. Because it was a system of social welfare that would take care of their parents and the indigent and the the blind. That was the purpose of the Corbin, to take care of the needy. It was Corbin means sacrifice. But your sacrifices were no longer free will offerings under Herod. They were compelled offerings, not because he had the power to make you give that, not because it was in the constitution of Judea. It's because you went and signed up for his entitlement program. Those people who signed up, they were entering his constitutional order and system of government. They were not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity anymore, but they were doing it through forced offerings through the government that exercised authority one over the other. And that was making the word of God the none effect. It would make the word of God none effect today. And of course, that's what you did back in the 20s and 30s with FDR. You started going the way of socialism. 
and you got the religion of socialism to take care of the needy of your parents, to honor your father or the mother, your social security was going to do that through the government that exercised authority, making the word of God to none effect, but also disobeying God and the commandments of God. But then you had these churches going around saying, oh, you don't have to obey the commandments of God anymore. You just have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to believe Jesus. You just have to believe in Jesus. You can do the opposite of what Jesus says because this is what they're telling you. But as long as you say you believe, you're saved. Even though Jesus said it's not what you say, but what you do. In Hebrews 10.5 it says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. What? What's he talking about? That's again the same word. Constitutional order and system of government. That's what, uh, you know, most of the time you see this word world. It's from one of four different Greek words. And that's another one of those words that they changed the meaning of. And they started changing the meaning of it well before they translated the King James Bible. Because the same word for age is often translated world. And some same word for constitutional order and system of government is also translated world. And the same word for the world is in the Greek is often translated heaven. <laughs> so, I mean, like, what, what do these words mean? They're changing the meaning of words and they can use that change to alter your thinking. But they would not be successful in altering your thinking except for the fact that you sit in darkness. You're not willing to see the truth. Now, if you're willing to see the truth, you also must see the truth about what Christ said is to persevere. Many people are beginning to wake up and see the truth, but they don't persevere following what Christ said, which was, he commanded that we make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that you can have a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity instead of the daily ministration of force, fear, and violence, which was set up by Herod and the Pharisees. And by set up by the modern Pharisees, who do the same thing today. Why, why are they allowed to do these same things today? Why, why are you forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare and at the same time think you're a Christian? Doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said. I mean, you got your churches and you sing your songs and you say you love Jesus, but you're still coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority because you go there for your daily bread. You don't pray to God for your daily bread. You pray to the government for your daily bread. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Now, in Hebrews, we know that the law must be written upon your heart and upon your mind. But Hebrews is, is a little bit written a little more cryptic than 
than some of the other epistles. A little bit more metaphor in there than you'll find in others. Because the very next verse is, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So Christ is coming to do thy will, O God. We should be coming to do the will of God. And the will of God was to take care of the needy. This is what religion was. Religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And that duty was to take care of the needy of society. My grandson brought me a a quote from Leviticus talking about not respecting the poor. In other words, just because you're poor doesn't mean that we're supposed to feed you. Now, that's an individual choice. It may be a mistake to feed you. You know, it's like uh, giving $100 to an alcoholic. He's poor, he needs money for food, so I give him $100. Well, you may kill him with that $100. He'll go out and buy too much whiskey or wine or something and end up dead in the street. So giving to the poor has to be done in a way that strengthens the poor. We see modern society who takes care of the poor often. That's why there are millions of people trying to cross the border because we have all these government giveaway programs that doesn't care whether we strengthen you or not. They just give away food, give away lodging, give away... You know, you're better off coming into this country as an illegal immigrant than being a vet. You're going to be taken care of more on the street. Especially if you know how to work this system. But these burnt offerings and sacrifices, that's what used to take care of the needy. But it was a voluntary system. Let's let's take a look at... um, uh, you know, I was reading you some of these quotes uh, concerning the darkness. And, of course, we go right away into uh, Luke one seventy nine to give light to them that sit in darkness. And then the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What is the way of peace? It's the way of Christ. It's it's a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. That's the way of Christ. The way of the world is a daily ministration based on force, fear, and violence, and fealty. That's the way of the world, but the way of Christ is to do it through faith, hope, and charity. That's very clear. John the Baptist made that clear. Jesus made that clear. Paul makes that clear. That's what Paul's doing. He's going around taking care of people during major durs. And he's doing it with funds that he's taking from other parts of the kingdom of God through this network of charity. This is because they couldn't go to the men who called themselves benefactors and exercise authority like the modern Christian does. Because they knew that Christ forbid that. But the modern Christian doesn't know that Christ forbid that, even though it's written right in the book. Because their brutish pastors are not telling them. They're too busy tickling their ears and comforting them. The Holy Spirit should be our comforter. Matthew 4.16 The people which sat in darkness saw great light. That's Christ. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death 
light is sprung up. So is light going on in your head? You're worried about the overreach. Somebody wants us to go to a meeting about the overreach of government. What about the overreach of Christians who think it's okay to exercise authority one over the other and force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare, borrow against the future of their children for the benefits they get every day? John 1 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So that's where we're at. But let's, you know, like I said in, in, in looking at the, the prophets, that they were talking about these forced contributions that was destroying the nation. So we're in this, uh, these events of our times where we're engaged in a struggle of good and evil. If you think the issue, like for instance, of men and women in sports is about gender agenda uh, of the left, you are being played and are ignorant of the history and destruction of liberty throughout the past. Because it really isn't anything about gender. They don't care about gender. They want more laws. And, you know, there's a recent controversy just this week uh, that there was a bill that appeared in South uh, Dakota and Christy Nome, uh who is the governor of South Dakota, and fairly common sense kind of woman, didn't sign it. She wanted a verb change, a word change, syntax change in the bill. Exactly like, I think, a Tennessee bill had the same thing and and conservatives praised the Tennessee bill because it passed but they're condemning Christy Nome because she didn't sign it right away she wanted it to be changed like the Tennessee bill I think it's the Tennessee bill I haven't read it but accordingly she's putting the same words in the bill that was in the Tennessee bill and then she will sign it so if you praise the Tennessee bill you should then praise her for what she's saying but what she actually is saying if you read between the lines more because she actually explains it but people just don't see it because they're they're full of anger is one reason Dan Bongino very angry at this system not going to cut it it's going to blind you and uh, so she's saying that we can't win in the courts she points out she knows all the last judges that they're going to be able to go in front of, they were all appointed by Obama and, and Clinton. Did you know at one time Clinton fired every federal judge in the United States? He fired them all. That, and he fired them in one day. And then hired them all back again. How do you do that? Why do you do that? What's that all about? You know what the lead story was the day he did that? He held up Air Force One so he could get a haircut. That was the lead story in your news. But that day he fired all the federal judges throughout the entire United States government and then hired them back again. Under what different terms did he hire them back again? Why did he fire them all and then hire them back? You haven't got a clue. You don't know what's going on. 
You don't have a source of truth. You sit in darkness. And the media keeps you in the darkness. And your pastors keep you in darkness. And you're, you're not going to see the light. You want to see the light? You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. Because that's the only way you're going to be born again because you've degenerated into perfect savages. You have got a clue what's going on. But she did recognize that if they go to court under the, the, and they will go to court, not because they want to, but because they will have a stay put against them and then they'll have to go to court to have the stay lifted. Because those judges of the courts are the God's many that Paul talks about. You didn't know that either. A lot of you didn't know that. When Paul talks about there are God's many, men that say they are God's, men that say they get to decide what is good and evil. That it's good that men are in the locker rooms with your daughters because they think they're a girl or say they think they're a girl. Now, I was just astounded that there was a, they got an actual male prisoner who said he was a girl and he insisted upon being put in the women's prison. And he was put in the women's prison. And, and within a short period of time, he had several women pregnant. If he was a girl, he couldn't have done that. <laughs> and evidently, at one point in time, he didn't think he was a girl anymore. Because he was getting other women pregnant. Well, how dumb can you get? Well, it, if it's dark... You can get really dumb and you're sitting in darkness now. And she at least realized we're not going to win in court. We have to get a consensus. We have to get a coalition of people that want to stand up and fight this fight. South Dakota can't do it on its own. we got to have a n- numerous states that fight against this. She understands that. Christ understood that too. He knew that you couldn't become a Christian just because you say, Lord, Lord. That you had to get organized. And getting organized means sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Well, what is going to bind you together in those tens, hundreds, and thousands? Because you're going to get tired showing up at a meeting to be a part of the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you're just not going to show up anymore. Unless, of course, you invest in those meetings. Invest in one another. Work. Strive. That's why Christ used words like strive and persevere. You say, all I have to do is believe, but Jesus said you had to strive. He asked him, are many uh, make it into the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? It's the right to be ruled by God. You see, the apostles were not of the world. They weren't signed up for the social welfare system of the Pharisees. They were They were out of that system. They didn't go that system. They were probably linked with the Essenes. The Essenes, many of the Essenes, most of the Essenes, I would suspect, had a system of charity. They didn't, they weren't all lovers of soft things like a lot of the the Sadducees and the Pharisees who wanted benefits at the expense of their neighbor. They didn't do that. They did it by charity. This is one of the distinctive characteristics. You think that the distinctive characteristics of the Essenes is they had had water baptism? No. What made them separate was they had a system of social welfare based on charity. Which is 
That's all John the Baptist was talking about. He didn't advocate everybody get baptized with water. He wanted you baptized with the Holy Spirit. So she she knows that they the courts controlled the truth. Tacitus knew that the courts could control the truth too. Tacitus is one of those few Roman historians, early, early Roman historians, who wrote about Christians in Christ. He talked about that. He also talked about the problems with Rome because Rome had moved from a republic to an indirect democracy to an imperial power. And he, he saw, he talked about the republic. And he talked about Libra Res Publica. That's, Tacitus understood those things. You do not. Most of you don't even know what a republic is. A republic is, is this institution where you're free from things public. Also, you, if you have entitlements, if you have things that are guaranteed to you by the government, you're not in a republic. Especially if those things guaranteed to you by the government are dependent upon taking away from your neighbor because your neighbor's not going to be free from things public. He's going to be forced to contribute to your free education, your health care, your parents. He's going to be forced to contribute to them. Not because it's written in the Constitution, but because you signed up for the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You did contrary to Christ, and so therefore you lost access to your freedom of choice, and you have become a thing. You have become merchandise. Tacitus wrote in in his book three, the more numerous the laws, the more corrupt the government. And so people think by passing this law that allows, uh, that actually prohibits guys from playing in women's sports and women from playing in guys' sports in grades 1 through 12, they're going to pass a law that allows that. That that there will be safety there. No, there will be more tools there to use against you. And if she had signed that, she would have given them a huge tool to fight against this. And nobody would have been safe because they would have had an injunction against it and so the they wouldn't have had any defense whatsoever from grades 1 through 12. Now, of course, if you're really Christians, you wouldn't be worried about grades 1 through 12 in the public school. You'd be homeschooling your kids or putting them in private school or gathering together. If you were gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded, private schools would be easy. They'd really be homeschools, but you would have a place to gather and you would have the credentials and you would have the protection uh, of people who were gathered together and believed in homeschooling, believed that the parents had a right to govern their children and decide for their children. You don't have that because you're not doing what Christ said. Your comforter is not the Holy Spirit. Your comforter is your pastors who tickle your ears. Tacitus also said, and now bills were passed not only for national objects, but for individual cases, and the laws were most numerous when the commonwealth was most corrupt. Sound familiar? 
You've gone from being a republic to an indirect democracy to a democratic socialist state. And you have an imperial cult of Rome. That's what they called their... If you wanted the free bread of Rome, where'd you go? You went to the temples of Rome. Well, those are pagan temples. Those are government temples that provided you with free bread and are a token where you could claim that free bread. You know, like an EBT card. You can get your free freebies. Now... 150, 200 years before, uh, Polybius said that this would turn you into perfect savages and bring in once more a monarch and a king. And of course, by that time, and they pretty much had it with the emperor, but the imperial cult of Rome was simply their socialist state. It was how you got your benefits. It was how you took care of the needy of your society through men who exercised authority. But Christ was saying to do something completely different. Tacitus also wrote, when men, which would also include women, because women are men, they're just women. It says, when men of talents are punished, authority is strengthened. And that's, of course, what the gender agenda is all about. It's about punishing women of talent. By allowing men to race against them and beat them. Men who could not win against men. They're not going to come in first in the men's race. They're not going to come in first in the men's wrestling group. Or the men's basketball. So they say they're a woman and they want on the women's team. But what it's really about. Is just. You know. Punishing people of talent. It's the same as tearing down the statues that you see them doing. You think that has something to do with statues and being triggered? It has to do with destroying your heroes. Who? What other heroes have they destroyed? Well, Star Wars heroes, they were all destroyed by the, the Kennedy lady <laughs> and Walt Disney. They were all turned into jerks and died and killed by their own sons. And I mean, the whole thing was with uh, Luke Skywalker and his father, when he found out that his father was Darth Vader, was that he forgave his father. And he was willing to die for his father, so that his father might repent. Sound familiar? <laughs> but now, now it's the reverse. Now the new hero, swashbuckling pilot, is he's transgender transsexual or something. I can't remember exactly how far they take it. He's also a drug addict. He's always taking drugs. These are the new heroes. They just want to destroy your heroes. And of course, the modern Christian, their hero is supposed to be Christ. And that's why, you know, to some degree, these pastors who want to become your comforter, your ear ticklers, when they talk about Christ, just believe in Christ. And and people have dramatic changes in their life when they accept that idea of believing in Christ. Believing in somebody who's greater than them, somebody who sacrificed himself for them. And they they have a release. They have an improvement and a change in their life. And that that could actually be related to the Holy Spirit and not just an emotional experience. But you have to become perfected in that belief. Perfected in that faith. 
You have to get to know the real Christ, what he was really saying. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, bottom line, we're engaged in war. A war of truth and lies about COVID, about Christ, about freedom, about liberty, about religion, about everything, you know, about family. I mean, the the Black Lives Matter people don't really believe that Black Lives Matter because we know blacks, scientists, scholars say that the black community is having the problems and difficulties that it has today because of socialism. Because of the benefits that have been wreaked upon the black community, directed at the black community since the days of Cloward and Piven, since the days of LBJ. This is what has destroyed the black community and destroyed the black family, which is killing thousands of black people. It Killing them in the womb, killing them in the streets. Black on black crime, murder is rampant in the places where the gun control is the strongest. And uh, it's devastating. And you have scholars like Thomas Sowell and Walter William and and uh, Elder, all these guys. Now Candace Owen is out there talking about a lot of these things. But Christ was talking about these things long before. The real Christ was talking about them. He was a social reformer. Moses was a social reformer. Even Buddha is counted as a social reformer. And, and many of the things that Buddha taught were very similar to what Christ taught. I mean, some of, some of his statements were almost identical to what Christ's statements were. So it's uncanny. 400 years before Christ, he's saying many of the exact same things that Christ would say and John the Baptist would say. But Buddhists and Christians aren't the same. But then again, Christians aren't the same as they were in the days of Christ. The modern Christian doesn't look like the Christian of the first century. He's not doing what the first century church was doing. And he really needs to be doing it because everybody else is doing what the first century governments were doing. Like I said, they they had gone from a republic. The republic was pretty much dead with Augustus Caesar. He ran on a platform of restoring the republic, but he he did not. He actually, the last time he was elected as emperor, when they handed him the tablets to take the oath, he didn't take the oath. He handed it to Tiberius to read the oath. He didn't. He didn't take the oath the last time he won the election to be the emperor. Yeah, did you know it was there was an election to be elected the emperor? It was an indirect democracy. And they were going to elect the emperor. They were going to elect the president of Rome. They were going to elect the person who could appoint the judges who would decide good and evil. The imperial judges of Rome who would decide good and evil. Augustus had that power. When he was elected to to be the apotheos, or apotheos, depending on if you're going to go with the strictly Greek translation or the American translation, because that is the name of the painting in the Capitol Dome. So, but we've talked about that before. 
But this, uh, the fact is we are engaged in this war of truth and lies. And the media is on the side of the lies. <laughs> We're engaged in this battle between light and darkness. And many of the church people are on the side of darkness because they want you to continue to sit in darkness. They don't want you to know what Christ commanded and what Christ said we had to do and what we should be striving at and persevering in. They don't tell you that. We do. But it's up to you to do it. It's not enough to hear it in your ears. You have to become that doer of the word. If you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you're not the doers of the word of Christ. Because Christ commanded that you do that. That you take care of one another's faith, hope, and charity. And that's the good and evil of it. You're either doing what Christ said or you're not doing what Christ said. And if you're not doing what Christ said, you're still sitting in darkness. And you're not saved. Because if you loved him, you would keep his commandments. And he commanded us to make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. To love one another. So, somebody else is getting to decide what is good and evil for you. Because you've been sitting in darkness for so long. And you need to come into the light. And if you come into the light, you'll actually come into the armor of God. It will change things drastically. And the more people who do it, the more it will be changed. Because more people will become that conduit of the Holy Spirit. So, there is no safety in making more laws. The laws are enough. Especially laws made in the halls of government. Christ isn't making more laws. Even loving thy enemy and taking care of one another through charity. That was all Moses. Moses was saying that that if you if you love your enemy, it's like uh, putting hot coals upon the head of your enemy. You give drink to your enemy, he says. Uh, Publius Tacitus he also said, a bad peace is even worse than war. And you need to realize that, that you're making a bad peace. Because you're empowering your enemy by not doing what Christ said to do. The desire for safety, comfort, etc. You know, Tacitus said, the desire for safety stands against every great and noble enterprise. And Christianity was a noble enterprise. The way of Christ is a noble enterprise. But you're not going the way of Christ because you're not taking care of one another in a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity. And I don't see how you could do that unless you sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network of charity. Not with ministers who exercise authority or tickle your ears. Because... Dear ministers are not supposed to be your comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. Responsibility goes back to you. In socialism, the responsibility goes to the government. They will decide what was good and evil. But in the pure religion of Christ, you have to make that decision. You decide who to give to, and then he decides what to do with it. And if he doesn't do well with it, you decide to give to somebody else. That's the way it works. If you want to be on the winning side of this battle that we are engaged in, you need to know where the battle lines are because a lot of you people who say you're Christians, you're actually workers of iniquity. There is no safety in democracy when the mob has the heart of a tyrant. And if you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you have the heart of a tyrant, not the heart of Christ. 
the people in in their hearts, they've turned back again into Egypt. That's where you're at. In Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. Today, far more than 20% of the, your labor belongs to the government because you've returned back again to Egypt. That's Acts 7, 39. That's New Testament. Peter warned that to covetous practice, you'd be made merchandise again like you were in the bondage of Egypt. The heart of Christ dwelling in the truly faithful does not desire benefits at the expense of their neighbor. If you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you have need of repentance. The true believer of the gospel of the kingdom does not covet the wages of unrighteousness. Those those entitlements. He does not covet those. Well, if you're not going to covet those, you're going to need some other help because things are going to get rougher. The Federal Reserve just this week predicted 15% inflation every year for the next 10 years. That, that's, if, if, if a house costs you $200,000 today in 10 years, it will cost you I have a son who just built a new house had to move to another location closer to where he was working and so he he bought a lot he did put a lot of sweat equity into it but altogether he's probably got $250,000-$300,000 into it with his sweat equity maybe not quite that much but uh he was just somebody just pulled up and offered him five hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the house. That's serious inflation. <laughs> of course, it's Californians trying to get out of California because it is falling into a sea of socialism and uh, on its way to destruction, like we saw in all the prophets. You know, Polybius, like we say, explained all this before. There is no safety in democratic socialism any more than there's safety in democracy. The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force. But Christians don't do that. They receive the benefits by the rule of charity and love. And if you're doing it the way Polybius warned about, then you're not a Christian. You're not striving to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. You're seeking the kingdom of the world and the entitlements of the world. This is why, and you say, well, it's hopeless to go the other way. Well, it is if you just go by yourself, but somebody has to step out of the boat of the ship of state. And and with God's help, you can do this. That's what faith's all about. Faith isn't doing something that is easy to do. It's often doing something that is almost impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You're just not with God. You're with the gods of the world who decide what is good and evil for you. They tell you that this is good and this is bad. And you know, you see it in the news, it's it's the reverse. So the New Deal of FDR allowed the spirit of democratic socialism, which is the religion you have when you have no religion, to grow in the people until they become accustomed to feed at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others. The liberty in America rested not upon the power of government, but upon the responsibility carried on the shoulders of every man. 
And when they work in a network of charity, they can mutually carry that burden. And it becomes light by the hands of many. But always in voluntarism, not in force. Benjamin Franklin and Tacitus both knew the desire for safety stands against that every noble enterprise. The hope of liberty among such people is what repentance is all about. You you don't live by force. You live by hope. You don't live by compelled offerings in the Corbin of the Pharisees, but by the free offerings of the Corbin of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, who freely sacrificed himself for others. And if you aren't willing to lay down your life for your fellow man, how in the world do you expect to pick up your life more abundant? They are about to take away the lives of millions upon millions upon millions of people. They'll blame it on some strange disease, but they gave you the disease, just like they created coronavirus in a laboratory. And they took advantage of the crisis that they created. They will create another crisis. And they are already in the process of doing it. And there's no point in me telling you as long as you want to sit in darkness. Because the solution is Christ. Not just Christ in your imagination, but Christ as He said it. Seeking that kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. You aren't doing that if you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Ungodly men... Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's where people are at. And we need to repent of that and go the other way. This Roman historian Tacitus, he he wrote of the crucifixion of, of Christus. Like I said, this is one of the early writings. This is A.D. 116. This Christus, this Christ... You know, Christus is just a Latin word for Christ. Christ is a Greek word for anointed. Was executed by Pontius Pilate. That's what he says in his annals. Written way back, like I said, in 116 AD. Tacitus' description of Christians' practices was rather negative. From the way in which he said it. But it was only negative from his point of view, because he had already accepted the idea of forcing the contributions of the people to the state, and which would provide a welfare by men who exercise authority. He had accepted that idea, and Christians came along with this other idea of doing it through faith, hope, and charity. So he looked at the Christians in kind of a negative light. But he reported as honestly as any historian could hope. He says, and I quote, The communities are wont of their own accord and man by man, that's an individual thing, to bestow upon their princes, who are their princes? Who was appointed a kingdom? The apostles were appointed a kingdom. The 170, uh, uh, the 70 and the 120 in the upper room were appointed a kingdom. So they're the princes of the kingdom. But Jesus said you're not to be like the princes of the other nations who exercise authority one over the other. In other words, force the contributions of the people. But he used to be greatest among you used to be the servant to all. The more you serve, the higher up you go. But it's not a hierarchy of authority. It's a hierarchy of service. 
It's archy in the sense that you have a right to decide. Each minister has a right to decide of how to redistribute the wealth that is given to him. But the wealth must be given to him freely on a day-to-day basis because it's a daily ministration. You can't do that if you don't gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So going back to Tacitus, describing Christians, they bestow upon their princes a certain number of beasts or a certain portion of grain, a contribution which passes indeed for a mark of reverence. This is what reverence was. And honor. Again, the word honor means to fatten. But, he says, but serves also to supply their necessities. This is pure religion of Christianity. The pure religion of Christianity takes care of one another. That phrase, of their own accord, is from the Latin word ultro, meaning voluntarily. This was the distinction of Christians from Romans. This was the conflict of Christianity and the imperial cult of Rome. The imperial cult of Rome forced the contributions of the people, often forcing the contributions of their enemies, to provide the daily bread of welfare in the free bread of Rome. The Christians provided it through charity, which is also translated love. Love for one another. It was a social welfare system of righteousness. While the government of Rome had a social welfare system of public religion. Like the Corbin of the Pharisees. That made the word of God to none effect. So in America today, there is the United States. And the United States takes care of its needy to forced contributions. And those forced contributions are the Corbin of the modern Christian. The brutish pastors who do not preach Christ. Who preach their own doctrines. And say it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. It's okay to borrow against the future of your children and curse them with a debt they will never be able to pay off. And a bondage they will never escape from. Except by the grace of God. So where is the battle lines? For all these things that come up, whether it's COVID or uh, gender agendas, where is the battle line? The battle line is in Christ. You're either doing what Christ commanded or you're doing something else. That something else can be all kinds of things. You know, become a Democrat, become a Republican, you know, become a Democratic Socialist. And then you'll be free from the consequences of your greed. But you will not be free. You will be more a slave than other ever. Unless you are living by faith, hope, and charity, how can you say you believe in Christ? How can you say that you follow the ways of Christ? You cannot. You not can't. Well, you can, but you cannot honestly. So, I I just thought you know we were going through all the 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 lesser prophets and we were seeing the same thing of forced offerings, the strange wives, the strange systems of care. The wife, the woman of the household, is often in charge of the care of the household. You know, 
making sure they got good wholesome food and taking care of the children and taking care of their home education at first anyway. This was the job of the wives, the women of the household. Because the husband was out plowing the fields and fighting dragons or whatever it was that he had to do to keep the family safe. But strange wives are wives who don't do it out of love. They're the mercenary wives, the prostitute, the whore. That's that's what they're talking about is someone who does it for pay. If you're not living by faith, hope, and charity, you're living by some other means. When you choose to walk in the way of Christ, you walk in the way of light and you will begin to see more and more and more. And I won't need to write such long pages explaining what the vaccines are, explaining that coronavirus is not the threat. Again, coronavirus, it's not nearly as dangerous as the Spanish flu by any means whatsoever. Not a fraction, even a tiny fraction of the deaths of the Spanish flu. Yet, oh, it's, wow, deaths, terrible plague. Even their predictions didn't match. So what, what's the big deal? The big deal is the great reset. But the greatest reset is Christ. We have an article up on that. And that's what you need to do. And so all these guys who are seeing that we have to do something different, we have to network together, we have to create cell groups and everything, you need to do it in the image of Christ. There needs to be a sacrifice, an investment. I get these notices from the people's rights, whatever it is, group. And they're going to have this meeting and that meeting. Unless they gather together like Christ and the early Christians, they will not make it through the days ahead. Because you have to invest in one another. You have to care about one another. Like I say, I can find all kinds of people who want to be free. But I can't find all kinds of people who want the responsibility of freedom. The responsibility of liberty under God. Which is the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's not where you go when you die. It's not for the dead. It's for the living. Christ said that. Didn't he say that? Doesn't your pre- Do you know where he said that? Do your pastors ever point that out? It's not just about... Christ very seldom talked about where you were going after you die. He's talking about what you are a doer of the word today. God will sort everything else out. So, are we following John the Baptist? And taking care of one another through charity? Are we following Jesus Christ? Taking care of one another through charity? Are we following Paul and Peter who warned against the covetous practices of the world? That they would bar you, according to Paul, from inheriting the kingdom of God? And according to Peter, would make you merchandise and curse your children? It has. Because you haven't really repented. You haven't really been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You haven't been following the way of Christ. You certainly don't look anything like the early church. As a matter of fact, you look more like the Pharisees. So, this idea of sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you have to organize yourselves. Nobody's going to do it for you. 
you have to take the time and invest the time to do it. So, you know, I I recommend, I always have recommended that you go to preparingyou.com and sign up for the network. Put an email, get an email to sign up on the network. Find people in your area. If your area is, if you can only find 10 people in Canada, then the 10 people in Canada need to connect. You need to study preparingyou.com and hisholychurch.org and figure out what it is that they haven't been telling you. You need to be sharing that information with other people and trying to build the network. Lay down your time, your energy to do that. And God will run out and meet you halfway. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.